Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Again, him reaffirming with his disciples his love for them, but also the necessity that he go to the cross so that we might be free from Satan and sin, and that we might have a born-again experience where our heart and spirit are in relationship with God, and we can hear his voice. In Luke twenty-two seventeen through 20, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. We know that Jesus' body became that unleavened bread that they ate during the Passover time, that his literal body was broken. And they, as we partake the communion, we are identifying that Jesus' body was broken for us, that all of his sufferings and everything he went through was to appropriate a great salvation, a great experience in our life for us. And that new covenant that we have now through Jesus Christ is not like the covenant of the Old Testament where it was required us keep all the laws, and if we miss one, we're guilty of all. It was a covenant that Jesus fulfilled the law by dying on the cross for our sins because sinful man could not keep the word of God. Jesus begins redemptive suffering in Matthew 26, 36-39. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus had to deal with a real soul life, a real self life, a real human body that he lived in. That he detested suffering just like all of us detest suffering and pain. But he had to reckon his will with the Father's will. He didn't just blindly do the Father's will. He did it with a heart of surrender by dealing with his own will. And we know that's what he did in the garden. He totally received and looked into what he was going to have to go through. All the suffering. He was the son of God. It was appointed, it says, from the foundation of the world. From when Adam and Eve sinned, it was appointed that Jesus would have to come and die to redeem all of us from Satan. And so he was dealing with this in the garden. His soul began to have that agony. Are you suffering with something? Is your soul in torment about something? It's that same suffering that Jesus went through that you might have victory and overcome your struggle and the, pain, the point of suffering that you're going through. Going a little further, Jesus fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. That cup represents a cup of suffering. It, it costs us to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple. And sometimes it's not pleasant, but if we'll embrace it, if we'll say yes, there's grace that comes in whatever cup you have to drink that is hard, but also joy and resurrection life comes out of that experience. The suffering soul, that that emotional pain before the physical pain. 
He knew he was going to take on the weight of our sins, my sins. Sin that separates us from God. Probably that was one of the greatest things Jesus hated to go through was the separation between him and the Father. A suffering soul cannot, cannot have peace because of sin unless they return to Christ or go to Christ. Isaiah prophesied about Jesus in Isaiah 53, 3 and 4. Jesus is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not even esteem him. But Jesus suffered for us. In John 19, 1, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. To be flogged means to beat someone with a whip or a stick as punishment and torture. Our sins meant that all of us needed to be beaten and tortured like Jesus was. So as we think about this pre-Easter service time, we think about every sin that we did deserved that kind of punishment in God's eyes. But Jesus stepped up and said, I'll take the place for them. And as you think of your own sins and the things that maybe you felt guilty for and the things that would separate you from God, you know Jesus suffered for you. To flog meant to punish or to torment the soul. Isaiah prophesied our benefit at Christ's expense. In Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Everything you've ever grieved over, Jesus went and took it for you because it's all part of this fallen world. Every loss you've ever experienced, every person close to you who ever died, Jesus bore that pain because he knew pain came into the world when Adam and Eve turned the whole world over to Satan. And he knew Satan, the God of this world, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he knew that sorrow and grief comes along with it. He never wanted us to die, but Adam and Eve opened that door to Satan to bring death in. He carried all of our griefs and all of our sorrows. You might say, if he carried my griefs and sorrows, why do I have to go so through so much pain sometimes? And why do I have to grieve and why do I have to mourn? It's part of this world. But Jesus promises in Psalms 30, Psalms 23, that through the valley of the shadow of death, he'll take us. But there will be a change, and you'll come out of that valley, and there'll be a joy to replace that grief and that sorrow and that mourning. We're not to remain in grief and sorrow. Some people remain their whole life in grief and sorrow simply because they don't surrender their life to Christ and let him take that sorrow and replace it with his joy. When he bore that grief and sorrow, he made a way for us to have joy in its place. Second part of verse 4, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Our key verse today is Isaiah, 35, Isaiah 53, 5. But he, speaking of Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, we were healed. People in the Old Testament, when Isaiah prophesied that, he was saying we are healed. It was like an appropriation back then that Jesus was going to come and die and be beaten and have his body whipped beyond recognition 
so that we might receive healing. It's a place where, back in the Old Testament, they could look forward to that prophetic word and appropriate, just like the children of Israel in the wilderness when they were in sin and the plague was beginning to kill everyone, Moses was told to lift up that pole in the wilderness and the serpent that was binding them was wrapped around that pole. It was really a sign of Satan being nailed to the cross when Jesus was nailed to the cross so that our sin would be paid for. When there's no sin, there's no sickness. It's a place of appropriation. It's a place of believing that the healing that Jesus paid for by his stripes can also function among us. And don't get discouraged because you don't see everyone healed. If we look at one person that's not healed, we don't be open to believe and receive what God wants to do. God is the God of miracles. God is the God of allowing healings and manifesting healings. But we have to believe he is good. We have to believe he's the healer. We have to believe that what Jesus went through is for our benefit today. No matter what we see, no matter what we feel, there's always our five senses and what we see and feel coming against the word of God and the promises of God. Wounded definitions to bore, to pierce, to kill, pierced, pierced through, slain, wound. That's what Jesus went through when he was beaten. The stripes definition, a stripe, a blow, a bruise, a scourging, striking, welts, wounds from the whip. In 1 Peter 2.24, Peter takes another stance. He looks, takes a post-crucifixion stance, a post-Jesus scourging stance. Jesus himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So he puts it in the past tense for us that healing was done and placed on the cross on Jesus who suffered, was beaten and wounded. In John 19, too, the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Why a crown of thorns on Jesus? In Genesis 3, 17 and 18, to Adam, because of their sin, God said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. We look at that and see, that's strange that they would make a crown of thorns and jam it into Jesus' head. But Jesus was even breaking the curse on the earth that someday everything is going to be restored. Just like that, that scripture talks about in Isaiah when the rivers are going to begin to flow. And as they flow out, they get deeper and deeper and deeper, and they begin to water and change the whole planet of the earth. They, they begin to water and change things that were dry and desolate. They begin to grow. But Jesus had to pay for that curse that it was even on the earth. And that crown of thorns did it. All guilt is transferred on Jesus at the cross. In Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. The iniquity is our guilt, our blame, our shame for guilt, our sin bent from our old nature. Jesus took the punishment on the cross for our guilt and for our sin. You can't stay under condemnation and guilt. Jesus is crucified in John 9, 
John 19, 17, and 18. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic, is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, the one on each side of Jesus in the middle. And Jesus breaks the curse of the law. In Galatians 3.13 it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Every curse that has been proposed against us is canceled. Every generational thing that stands against us, that comes down the family line that we're dealing with in our families, is to be broken. And we're to stand in those places to break generational things that we see in our lives, to believe that God has paid for it through Jesus and that we can pursue and appropriate a victory over those curses. In Isaiah 53, He, Jesus, was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, He was stricken. The definition of transgressions are the breach of trust, rebellion, and our acts of rebellion. In Isaiah 53.10, the first part, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Talk about love, that God loved us so much that it pleased him to do this to Jesus. I don't understand that kind of love, but I'm sure glad God had that for me. Jesus is unrecognizable. In Isaiah 52.14, Isaiah prophesies looking ahead of what Jesus was going to look like. Many were amazed when they saw him, when they saw Jesus. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. Jesus went through, us, through that for us. For us, he was, he was beyond recognition after they were done with him. From the beatings and going to the cross for us, that we might be free. The suffering and the physical disfigurement of a servant would be unparalleled. God is pleased with Jesus' sacrifice. In Isaiah 53.10, the last part of the verse, Isaiah is talking about God the Father. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he will see his seed, and he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his, in his hand. Through Jesus, look at the generations who have had the opportunity to accept Christ in these last 2,000 years. How many people in our families today are saved? That's what he's talking about in Isaiah. That because Jesus did that, generation after generation until he comes back is coming into the kingdom of God and receiving the benefits of a Savior who went to such a horrible pain for us and death. In Isaiah 53, 11, He, God, shall see the labor of his, of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall be justified, and he will justify many. For Jesus shall bear their iniquities. Romans 8, 32, Paul reminds us, God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Our benefits are continually unfolding because Jesus went to the cross, because God wanted us to have so much more, and we get it because of what Jesus did. Our sal salvation is complete. 
In John 19, 28 through 30, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The work of redemption and salvation has been completed once for all, and its results are abiding continuously. Will you stand with me? Maybe just like take a few minutes as we're closing.